Welcome to Matt D'Elia is Confused. This is Matt D'Elia. And this is my ninth straight solo quarantine episode. Uh, been doing two a week. Uh, so this has us at four and a half weeks, I guess. Am I doing that math right? I think so. Four and a half weeks, aka a month. A.K.A. what the fuck? Everyone's losing their shit. The wheels are slowly coming off all of our fucking minds. Some of us more than others. Uh, I'll get into the... Actually, you know what? Before I even get into anything, these episodes on the Wednesday episodes usually come first thing in the morning, but... This one got delayed because there's something I wanted to watch before I got into the episode because I figured it was something I want to talk about. There's there's a link. There's a viral. I don't even want to call it a documentary. It's it's a viral thing, something that's gone viral uh, that a bunch of you have sent me sort of like inquiring about what I think somehow. If you're a listener, you should absolutely know what I'm primed to think about um a Pizzagate supporting video that's gone viral that says CIA controls Hollywood uh, and that Hollywood is run by pedophiles and we're being brainwashed and da 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 da. One would think that if you've listened to a minute of anything I've ever said, you would know what I think about that kind of thing. But many of you anyway <laughs> sent me this thing and were like, I'd love to hear your take on this as if it was possible that I could have any fucking po- take other than the one uh, that I was destined to have. Anyway, I'm going to get into that later because that's a little bit, um, it's a little bit of a, uh, of a, of a more fucked up thing watching it. I knew well, the point of it, today's episode being late is that I knew watching this thing that I had to watch that I told myself I had to watch to talk about today. Uh, I knew it was going to, make me angry i knew it was gonna fucking angrify me that's not a word but uh i knew it would and it just took me i think i had to be in the right mindset and yesterday i was like i fucking don't want to but this morning i woke up and did it and watched the whole thing and i'm going to talk about it later uh because it's fucking important to rip shit like that to shreds uh, but I'm going to get into some, that's a little bit of, uh, negative shit that angrified me. I'm going to get into some happy shit first. We all know that happy shit is, uh, hard to come by in general because life is fucking hard, but happy shit is particularly hard to come by now. But I'm happy to say that something happy happened, happy end to me. Late last night, I'm just sitting around, uh, I get an email at like 10 or 11, and it's a fucking direct deposit from the IRS. The money we were promised is starting to come, and I gotta say, Donald Trump, 
you must be a listener to this podcast because my common refrain of give me my money where's my money give me my money has been properly heard and received and processed now by the IRS and now I'm $1,200 richer uh wow should be more than that so let's start let's start with the positives thank you for sending that first installment but guess what it's only $1,200 and guess what I still have to say give me my money except now it's give me more money give me more money we fucking need it what's $1,200 that's fucking shit give me more money um but yeah those checks are going out so we all have 1200 more dollars which in a vacuum is fucking cool you know if it was totally unrelated to anything that was happening in the world uh if many of us didn't just absolutely need 1200 dollars right now because of what's going on in the world that would be a better thing to just magically get $1,200 wired to you would feel better. But, you know, you got to take what you can get. And money's money, and now I have a little bit more of it. Thanks, government. And before I get into the next happy thing, I want to hit pause on the happiness because I don't want to present... a lie to you that all things are rosy. I need to break up the rosiness. And how I'm going to break up that rosiness right now is I'm gonna... I don't know. I mean, I kind of stopped watching Trump's press conferences um, because it's very strange. There, There are these daily things and they're just like weird propaganda fests and all he talks about is how good the ratings are of them and it's just fucking topsy-turvy man it's fucking strange and it's so strange that it just has repelled me but yesterday or maybe it was the day i think it was no it was yesterday they've been increasingly mad they've been increasingly mental they've been increasingly demented um but yesterday there were they I mean, he's such a fucking idiot. He played this video that's just basically pure propaganda that not only outlines all of the things he did well, he did right. It 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 points out all of the time, all of the ways the media and the and the WHO got it all wrong. So basically, he's just saying. There's the, here's this fucking three, four minute video, or however long it is. I'm going to play it in a second. Um, but he's basically just saying, I did everything right. It's, it's other people's fault what's happening. And he played this video at a fucking press conference. And then afterwards, a journalist asked him who made that. And Trump just said, well, people on my staff. And the guy and the questioner was fucking smart. He was like, so people on your staff made that video. 
And Trump was just like, yeah, you know, I wouldn't, or the guy was saying produced and Trump was like, I wouldn't say produced, you know, it was very easy. It was, we could find hundreds of more clips. We could find hundreds of more clips like that. Um, but he was all blustery about it. But what he did was admit that his fucking stat campaign staff made something that was played at a press, at a press briefing at a white house press briefing. Why is that so hard for me to say at a white house press briefing, which is a fucking illegality anyway, not that he gives a fuck. He played this video and it's insane. I'm going to play it for you. Actually, uh, hang on one second. Most importantly, we're going to get back onto the reason we're here, which is the success we're having. Okay, uh, please, you could put it. The up. reason we're here, you know. People should be more concerned right now with the flu in this country. A lot of people are concerned about the coronavirus because they're hearing a lot of news about it right now. But the reality is, comparing it to the flu, for example, it's not even close to being at that stage. What if it is worse? Is this a moment where maybe countries put politics aside, a little bit of pride aside, and do we have U.S. officials? Should U.S. professionals such as yourself get involved? How worried should America... Okay, that was... Sean Hannity. So he's starting to paint some media as sensible and the people being interviewed as as wrong. And obviously his fucking sycophantic acolytes are just being the cautious, truly concerned, a.k.a. correct ones in retrospect. But in reality, Sean Hannity was calling it a fucking hoax, saying it was bullshit, saying it was just another way to try to take down Trump all in the fucking lead up. And he only changes tune when Trump changes his tune. So fucking K already. Americans be about coronavirus. Coronavirus is not going to cause a major issue in the United States. So now he's just showing us all the people who are wrong. And now it says, while President Trump took decisive action. The fucking storytelling here is tippy top notch. Clearly. The music. Oh, wow. It just shows Trump standing there. Whatever they're doing in terms of a vaccine. We will be suspending all travel from Europe to the United States for the next 30 days. To unleash the power of the federal government in this effort today, I am officially declaring a national emergency. Medicare patients can now visit any doctor by phone or video conference at no additional cost. The first one million masks will be available immediately. And now on screen, in that same shitty fucking font that looks like it was put together in Keynote, it says, even as partisans sniped and criticized. Meanwhile, that was all from March. All the shit Trump was just saying, all the clips was from March. Naturally, leaving out fucking February when he was waving it off as another Democrat hoax. Okay. And the movie goes on. As there were more cases... And it was clear that it was spreading out of China, where it originated. The president took this move that he was widely criticized for by Democrats and even some Republicans at the time, which was he halted a number of flights from China into the U.S. The idea was to halt the spread of the disease, keep transmissions to a minimum. He was accused of xenophobia. He was accused of making a racist move. At the end of the day... It was probably effective because it did actually take a pretty aggressive measure 
against the spread of the virus. Now it says partisan governors recognize the president's support. Anyway, I think you guys get the idea. It's just a fucking commercial for him that he's playing at a press briefing where people are trying to get information about what the fuck is going on in the country. The dude literally cues up and introduces a fucking shitty little keynote presentation (laughs) that his staffers illegally fucking made. Hey, man. No one wants to fucking see that. You're out of your fucking mind. And then a reporter asks, hey, what about February? Why did you leave out February? And he just goes the fuck off on her. Like he didn't just play a propaganda video. She has a natural question of like, well, if you're going to fucking just pull out this video defending yourself. She's going to question it as is her actual job. And then he just fucking lambastes her as a fucking unfair question and a hack reporter, whatever the fuck. But hey, it got good ratings, so fuck it. You know what else is getting good ratings, though? I'll use that as a segue into the actual happy thing I wanted to talk about. Before I get into the bullshit thing I watched uh, just before this. Uh, This is a non-bullshit thing to watch. This is my brother, Chris D'Elia's brand new Netflix original comedy special, No Pain. I directed No Pain. Chris asked me to uh, direct it. I have never directed a comedy special until now. And a lot of you naturally have asked me about it. Um, and I talked about it a little bit at the end of the last episode, but only in like a, you know, watch it way. And, and if you haven't watched it, do watch it because it's good for me. Uh, if you watch it, it's good for me. <laughs> and my brother, it's good for us. Uh, no, but it's really fucking funny. And uh, it's, I think, his best special in an unbiased way. I mean, I think that about every one of his new specials. It's interesting because as he's gone along in his career, uh, I mean, uh, fuck it. I, I saw on, on, on his podcast that he he spent a considerable chunk of time uh, talking about me and my involvement with directing the special. So I might as well pay it back. Um, he, I didn't even know that he fucking did that by the way. Some, some one of you fuckers sent it to me. Um, but it was very sweet and it, it got me just sort of reflecting on his career in general and, and my tracking of it. And, um, you know, he started, I think, I mean, he, he could speak to this better than I could, but it's my understanding that he started a little later than I think a lot of comedians start. I think he was in his mid twenties. Uh, and I was in my early twenties. And when he started having open mics, 
at the Ha Ha Cafe or the Ha Ha Hole. <laughs> I mean, come on with that name. Change it. Ha Ha Hole. Anyway, he would have these open mics and there were bringer shows. And, and, and I mean, I would have fucking gone anyway because I wanted to support him. He was just starting out. And, uh, but me and a bunch of my friends, his friends, my friends would go, my family, obviously, too. And, um, I remember when I would, f the first one I would go to, the, not would go to, the first one I went to, the actual first open mic I went to was the Bringer Show. And there were a lot of people there because there were a lot of comics who also brought like 10 or 12 people minimum. So there was a fucking packed house, but it was a bunch of unpolished sort of amateur -y, no offense to them. They were, they all just fucking started. That was the whole point. Um, and I actually remember his bits pretty well. I think now, because I saw them so many times, they were obviously very funny. But a couple things stand out from specifically from that first uh, show that I went to, that I ever saw him at. Um, one, just sort of like personally, um, I remember not watching him at all. I remember being very nervous uh, for him because he's my brother and I love him and I and I was I hadn't seen his act and I obviously knew my whole life I knew that he was the funniest person I knew uh and he still is the funniest person I know and I've met a lot more people between now and then so I can still say he's the funniest person I know but at the time as most of you know just being funny and being good at stand-up comedy there's a lot of crossover but it's not the same thing and so I, I, I believed he would be good and I was excited and, 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 and I, I hadn't seen him though. So I was fucking nervous because that's what you do when you care about somebody. You get nervous for them when they're starting something new. And it was the first time I was seeing him. So I was, I was anxious, very anxious as he took the stage. And I remember just looking around at everyone else, at, at the audience to sort of gauge their reaction. Um, because it, it, I, what I, realized was that most important to me of all of the things that were happening was that whatever happened after the show that Chris didn't feel bad right and the way that a comedian goes about not feeling bad at least goes about it via his job is to make the audience laugh that's a pretty clear and I think that's what's appealing uh to a lot of comedians it's as, as artists it's a very direct line to uh the audience response you know, for me, if I write a movie, the fruits of the labor might not come for a fucking decade, quite literally. Uh, but when you're a comedian, you're performing that fucking moment, you get the feedback right then. And I was concerned. I wanted people to fucking laugh at him. And as I'm looking around at the faces of, mind you, these people... Are these people basically don't want to be there, right? At a bringer show, uh, the audience doesn't is there to support one of the people there. And that one person, it's not even guaranteed that the person that's there even thinks that person's funny. They're just, it's like a purely a supportive thing. You go because you were asked to go. And uh, as a friend or as a loved one, uh, you go. And so everyone there, minus my group of 10 or 12, 
was there for some other comedian at that bringer show. But everybody during my brother's set was fucking dying, laughing. And the ones before him, obviously, that wasn't the case. Uh, I, I don't remember the ones after him because afterwards I was like, I could breathe, I could relax, and I, it's just kind of a, a bit of a blur. But I distinctly remember the lead up. And it was like a normal fucking open mic or bringer uh, show. It was like some of them were funny, some of them were okay, some of them could be funny if they polished up or tightened up, whatever the fuck, you know? It's just like a wide spectrum of, of, effectiveness you know but chris got up there and fucking murdered it was the first time i ever saw him he like was he actually legitimately wasn't even a comedian yet and he had a couple jokes fuck what did he have he had some joke about al pacino and kobe steak <laughs> or something and he had he had he i remember those old state farm commercials with dennis haysbert he he had a bit about those commercials he had a bit about the show 24 uh, with Kiefer Sutherland. And it was really, really fucking funny. And I realized then that I didn't really have much to worry about. Because if he can even make people at a fucking bringer show cry laughing, then he'll definitely be okay with people who are actually buying tickets to go see just a show of comedy. Um, But that sort of inability to watch him and my anxiety forcing me to just sort of surveil the audience <laughs> to make sure they're fucking laughing to sort of in my own mind spare chris of any possible negative feelings um because it's interesting over the years just in just to take an even wider view of my relationship with my brother i think the the thing that uh the most, the, the absolute most baseline, always there thing between me and Chris, from, from me to Chris, rather, is, I mean, when we were brothers, like there was, there was, we would have phases where we would fight, but we were always just sort of generally very, very close. But even when we would fight, even when we, all of our friends were around and I'd fucking be running my mouth or like, uh, I remember one time we were still living in New Jersey and we had those mini bats. I've always been a baseball fan. And when I was a kid, me and my dad would go to games a lot at Shea Stadium, which isn't even fucking there anymore. I'm a Mets fan and my dad raised me that way. And I still blame him for that. But we would get these, sometimes there would be a giveaway at the game and you'd get these tiny bats, like small bats, like for a kid as like a souvenir. But he made me so mad that I went in to his room and in front of all of his friends, like smashed his knees and shins while he was laying down. It was brutally violent and terrible. <laughs> and I, and I, and even doing that, there was like this w weird knowledge that I can do this. But if someone else did this to him, even in my state of fury, Toward him, whatever. I don't even know what it was about. It was some kid shit. I was like seven or something. But even then, I had the frame of mind to understand that if it wasn't me 
hit smashing his legs with his bat. If anyone else was smashing his legs with his bat, I would want to smash their head in with either that bat or a different bat or anything else I could use to bludgeon someone's head. No matter how mad I was at him. And so my point is my baseline attitude towards my brother has always been any way that I can sort of prevent him from having negative feelings, prevent him from being made to feel bad. If there's any, any glimmer of him being sad or upset, I cannot really handle that. And I want to sort of extinguish it as soon as possible. That's kind of what it is. And so when I'm at these shows and I'm my, I think what's underneath my examination, my surveillance of the audience, instead of actually paying attention to the fucking show is that I know that if people are laughing, Chris will feel good. I know what he's trying to do up there, what he's working his ass off for up there is to make people laugh. And if people are laughing, then he will be spared any potential negative feelings. I mean, that's, I think it's really as simple as that because as he, where I'm going with this is that as his career sort of advanced, I would continue to do that. And I would, I, I, but it slowly started to gradually go away as he, as he went from, uh, uh, open mics into uh, being a regular at the comedy store and the laugh factory into going on the road, opening for Bobby Lee and Joe Coy. Uh, as he started to become someone who out in the world was clearly uh, a good comedian who had an audience. And as I realized I had less and less to, I don't know if less and less to worry about is the right way to put it. But as I realized worrying about it was sort of, pointless because i've to this day never seen never ever seen chris do anything but absolutely fucking crush i've never ever seen that and i've seen him hundreds of times and i've seen every other comedian just in my going to see chris all the time i've seen every other comedian have at least a bad set i've never seen chris have a bad set so the first thing I remember from that first open mic was that feeling of so badly wanting him to succeed. Even more than wanting him to succeed, wanting him to feel like he succeeded. It's like an instant protection. It's like a protection thing, you know? But I also remember, and I distinctly remember this, the very, very first fucking time I saw him and I felt like this steadily from literally that night on and now i don't need to worry about it anymore because it's just fucking already true and it's been true for years now but I, i've never been so sure i've never been so absolutely sure that someone would not only succeed but be an action be an absolutely huge success at a thing in like the fledgling infancy phase like, I mean, I was watching him at an open mic or not watching him. I was watching the audience at, during his first open mic and not thinking, but just truly knowing that he was going to be a fucking big star. 
And so every step of the way, and, and I've even mentioned this to him actually, because I, I, I started to get worried that like his various successes weren't, um, like I wasn't reflecting my, uh, feelings about them properly. So over the years, I've, I've, I've a couple times directly gone to him and been like, Hey, I want you to know that my sort of what might appear to be a subdued reaction to these things that are happening to you. They're subdued because I've felt like I've known they were going to happen all along. So when he is going to do Carnegie hall and my family's fucking freaking out and I'm like, yeah, I'm not like, yeah, I know because it's not information I knew. I'm not fucking Kreskin, but I knew in the broader sense, Chris doing Carnegie Hall was an actual formality. Whenever Chris does Radio City Music Hall, that will be an actual formality. And I don't believe in destiny. I don't mean like it was meant to be. I mean, he's just that good. And it's so abundantly obvious, abundantly clear it was to me. And I think it was to a lot of people, honestly. Um, and fucking look at him now. Uh, but yeah, this was the first fucking uh, special of his that I directed. And not only for that reason do I think it is his best special so far. I'm really, really actually genuinely proud of it and more than I'm proud of it and much more than I'm proud of myself and my own work on it because directing a special is, I don't want to say it's easy because it's not, but it's, 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 let's put it this way for, if you're, if it's, if you direct a movie, film is like a director's medium. TV is a writer's medium. Theater is an actor's medium. Stand-up comedy, it doesn't. It almost doesn't matter what the fucking anything is except what the act is. And I go into it knowing that, and just all I'm thinking is, don't fucking crash the ship into the iceberg. Just don't get in my own fucking way. Uh, and let everyone focus on Chris the entire time. But, um, it was, it was, it was, it, it is an amazing performance. I think, I think, you know, we do it twice, you do it twice. Uh, we recorded, we did two tapings and after the first one, it was like, he made a joke right away. It was like, we don't even need to do the second one. <laughs> and obviously we had to because people had bought tickets and what the fuck the cameras are there we might as well get a second one and then after the second one the very first thing he said was burn the first one and that was the best he's ever done his hour so what you see in the special is 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 one performance which is not always the case a lot of these specials the reason you do more than one performance is because you get to pick and choose from which set you want to use which joke this was better in that set. That was better in that set. So we kind of always had an eye on it would obviously be ideal to have it be just one and use a minimal amount from another one. But I'm pretty sure if I'm remembering correctly, it's all from one of just one set. 
maybe there's like a tiny pieces of just like uh Segway glue shit for flow, but it's really what you're seeing is just one um one set. <laughs> Watch it. <laughs> So yeah, that's my story uh, about that. And it's doing really fucking well. Um, I think it's like the fourth most watched thing on Netflix right now. Something like that. Um, It just came out on Tuesday. And yeah. It's a fucking beautiful thing. I had a blast doing it. And I love my brother very much. And it was an honor to do it. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> uh, okay, so I guess it's time to get back into some depressing shit or what? Because that's plenty happy shit. Um, actually, yeah, let me take a break now. And when I can come, when I do come back, not when I can come back, when I do come back, I will get into this fucking thing I watched that angrified me more than fucking anything. More than any fucking usual conspiracy theory bullshit. Uh, and I will elucidate why it angrified me. And it'll be fucking gay. Don't go anywhere. Matt D'Elia is confused. We'll return right after the break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mm-hmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. And I'm back. And now is when we get into the shit that angrifies me and, on theme, confuses me. I... You guys, a lot of the stuff I talk about on here, especially uh, since this quarantine shit is, is, is stuff that you all send me. And you guys send me a ton of shit, ranging from um, interesting stuff that I hadn't known about, stuff that uh, I learned things from, all the way up to totally insane shit. That um, reveals you to be insane. I and let me say this: I doubt you know who you are. <laughs> I doubt the insane people I'm talking about know who they are, because insane people think they're sane. 
That's what makes them insane. But let me start with some not insane shit that sometimes you, uh, there was there, uh, on Instagram, sometimes you guys DM me shit. And one of you, I fucking, I mean, I don't really say names in this show on general, in, on the show in general, but, uh, I forget all who sends me shit because so much of it comes and so much of it is fucking great that I kind of just like copy links, um, Anyway, whoever you are, I appreciate it. But somebody tagged me in this um, Tom Hanks post um, on Instagram. So Tom Hanks, the actor, the very, very harmless, sweet-faced actor that everyone loves, um, posted two days ago. And the post was uh, 50 years ago. One, send men to the moon. Two, return them safely to Earth. Not easy. Apollo 13, Hanks. And he signs off on all social media by just writing Hanks, H-A-N-X. And, okay. However, that's not why I bring this up. Um, the, the person who tagged me pointed out the comments on, uh, they said, look at the comments. So I started to read some of the comments and it did not take me long to discover that I was knee deep and rising in a fucking cesspool of idiocy. And just opening it up and just going to hit a random comment. It says, what a lie. People please watch, quote, Out of Shadows on YouTube. It's the story behind Hollywood and elites. Elites is in capital. Capital letters and also as an apostrophe before the S. To indicate possession, which is incorrect grammar, but anyway. It came out a little over 72 hours ago with more than 7 million views. So telling. Okay. So this is, now I'm hearing about this thing out of shadows. And then I keep going. It says, sign the petition, and there's a pizza icon, and a needle icon, and a needle icon, and a pizza icon, and needle, 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 pizza emojis. And then there's another comment. Why did you delete it the first time and then post it again? I guess he took down the original one and redid it or something. And then another one. Oh, Tom, oh, Tom, heard you're taking a one-way vacation to Gitmo. Question mark. How's Pizzagate? Question mark. This is not actually Tom Hanks, kids. And then an emoji with someone with their hand over their face in disgrace. Then hashtag Tom Hanks is a pedo. Hashtag pedo would. Then let me just start reading the handles with this. Suzanne42 underscore. So hashtag pedo would. Hashtag Adrenochrome. Hashtag Pizzagate. Hashtag <laughs> David Spade. Hashtag Rita Wilson. Hashtag Ellen. Hashtag Madonna. Needle emoji. Needle emoji. Needle emoji. It has all run out. Praying emoji. British flag emoji. American flag emoji. Bunny emoji. Eyes emoji. K! Wow, Suzanne42 really going for gold on that one. Then the next person, Freethinker444, The Great Awakening, in all caps, exclamation point. Sashin Patrick Q. Fischel, How does jail feel? Question mark. Soakoa Toa, 
How's that ankle bracelet feel? American flag emoji, American flag emoji, American flag emoji, TikTok Michael. My God. These, it's just never fucking ending. Truth will prevail, Hanks. This is Hanks with an X. This is DD201891. The truth will prevail, Hanks. Clapping. God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will also reap. Be assured, judgment is coming. Sarah Millen says, Pizza emoji, pizza emoji, pizza emoji, pizza emoji, pizza emoji, pizza emoji. You get the fucking point. Everyone that's commenting is a fucking insane person conspiracy theorist. And the few comments in there that are not insane people are like, what's with all these bots? Now, I'm a little torn about whether I think these are bots or not. I think thinking all that shit is is just accreditable to bots is sort of its own kind of conspiracy theory. It's not allowing for the fact that there are just absolute fucking idiots out there who believe this shit. So anyway, as that first comment pointed out, there's something out called Out of Shadows now. Or Out of the Shadows. Out of Shadows. It's this viral thing going around. Um, Someone else, in fact, several of you, sent Out of Shadows to me. So this is after I see this Tom Hanks thing. Actually, after that, someone had sent me a, a similarly, just before I started recording this, actually. Um, tag me in a Bill Gates post. Well, Bill Gates is like talking about, well, let's save the world because his whole mission is to save the world. Uh, but all the comments on that were similarly ridiculous, similarly dropping the title out of shadows. A few of you sent me this thing out of shadows. What do you think of this, Matt? Matt, I'd love to hear you talk about this. What do you think about this? Shit like that. Maybe one or two of you were like, check out this ridiculous shit. You have to talk about this on the podcast. Because people know I love to talk about dumbass motherfucking conspiracy theorists, people. But some of you were like, I think this is interesting. I would love to hear your take on it. My take on it. Okay. I will give you my take on it. But first, let me kind of just break down what the movie is. So you know what it is before I start going point by point in taking it apart. Out of Shadows, I believe, was produced by the person who who narrates it and sort of is the primary voice, the primary talking head, the one who leads us through the fucking cesspool. I think his name's Mike Smith, but it doesn't matter. Uh, Fucking name might as well be Dookie Head Thompson, because it's not a name you should remember. So Dookie Head Thompson is making this fucking uh, movie. And he's a stuntman. And Dookie Head Thompson, this is real. This part's real. Dookie Head Thompson has formerly been a successful stuntman for Hollywood films. And Dookie Head Thompson was having a blast, living his dreams, taking pictures with fucking Tom Cruise and shit. Uh... But he suffers um, a grave injury, an injury that not only ruins his career, but 
because it ruined his career and ruined his body and he's in deep pain, his life is now unclear. The path forward is unclear, which is a bit glossed over in the documentary, but I'll return to that. I actually, I'm going to fucking flog myself because I just called it a documentary. This thing that Dookie had Thompson made is not a documentary. It's a crock of shit documentary. So in Dookie Head Thompson's crock of shit documentary, he goes on to talk about how due to this injury he suffered, he had to, and because of the, the, the specifics of the injury, he broke a vertebrae and then broke his pelvis too. It was like super fucked up, debilitating shit. And he needs to go to a physical therapist and there are only a few of the kind of physical therapist he needs, which is a pelvic floor specialist. The worst kind of floor imaginable, but this is a pelvic floor specialist who is then brought into the crock of shit documentary. And, but not her face and not her name. This is anonymous. So her voice comes on, starts talking about how Mike a.k.a. Dookie Head, was skeptical of the things she had to say at first, and she was worried about him and felt dark energy in him and would tell him this stuff in their sessions. Dookie Head talks about how he had a little bit of trepidation. He was a little bit weirded out by it because he had forgotten about God and forgotten about, just sort of dropped his belief in any sort of spirituality and just he thinks if you die, you die, and that's the end of life, which is correct. However, his correctness soon, this is all according to the crock of shit documentary. This is not fact. I don't know. This is just what uh, fucking Dookie had said. Uh, as he continues to go to physical therapy to this anonymous pelvic floor specialist, he starts to see the light. She starts to convince him that, you know what, if anybody knows about these kinds of things, if someone in Hollywood has their pelvic floor broken where do you think that person goes and if someone is the victim of pedophilia child rape who do you think they have to go see if their pelvis gets injured the pelvic floor specialist the anonymous pelvic floor specialist that's who so now dookie head understands she's a fucking expert she knows and he starts to come around now this is the first place i'd like to stop dookie head his life just stopped dead in its tracks. He was a stuntman, which, by the way, we could get into the fucking deal with stuntmen in a little bit. But it's being a stuntman is kind of like being a fucking uh, uh, daredevil or whatever the fuck. You got screws loose, and the more stunts you do, the more screws loosen, Okay. Anyway, this is not to rip on stuntmen. Most stuntmen are fucking completely sane. I'm just saying, of all people to lead us through this fucking murky territory of CIA controlling Hollywood and and protecting a fucking pedophile ring that has existed for years and years since the birth of Hollywood. For all of the people who would do that for us, that service, that public service, that it's a stuntman is just, I think, particularly silly. But anyway, it is. Heroes come in all different packages. 
But this stuntman whose whole life was determined by his passion, which was being a stuntman. He loved movies. And now his life is derailed. He has no future. Therefore, there is a massive void created in the wake of this injury. He's not just laid up for a couple of years, injured, working his way back to health. He's also directionless. His, what his whole life was, what his whole life was about, has been fucking screeched to a halt. And now there's a void that must be filled. Unfortunately for the world, what happened to fill that void is what this anonymous pelvic floor specialist, the trail she put him on. And the trail she put him on, which is, of course, backed up by no evidence, is thus. The CIA controls Hollywood. The CIA controls the media, parceling out what we see in feature films, narrative films that are scripted, and in the news, which is unscripted. But it's all being filtered down to us by those who control it. And he goes on to name the six companies that control everything uh, now and how they've changed hands over the years and they have all different names now. So it seems like there's a lot of variety, but really it's just six different entities that control the world, according to him. And he goes on to sort of point out, now he starts to make his case. And let me tell you something. I wipe my ass with his case. It is a non-case. Cases have evidence. Meanwhile, let me just stop for a second here. Why does this bother me? Because as the person in the comments said, it had 7 million views. I guess it was taken down. Now, I watch it this morning. Just for context, I watched it this morning. It had 600,000 views. Let me just check now. That was this morning when I watched it. Three hours ago. Good on. It has 720,000 views now. So in three hours, it garnered 120,000 views. This is a thing people are really watching. And I would imagine most of them aren't like me, mouth agape, wondering how fucking fucked up minds can be and how dumb people can be and how desperate and sad people can be. I think most people watching it are on some spectrum, either like, ah, that's interesting. Like the people who sent it to me. I wonder what Matt D'Elia thinks of this. I'm going to send it to Matt. See, get his thoughts on it. This is interesting shit. Ranging from that generally, obviously there are some people like me who are just like, oh my God, it's like fucking torture porn, basically. Um, masochism defined. But hey, this is the kind of shit I do for you. I approach the abyss of confusion so you don't have to. And I fucking report back about my findings. So whatever you do, please don't watch this. Please only listen to what I say about it. And anyone who ever references it or ever tells you to watch it, direct them to this and me now. And when you do direct them to this and me now, tell them. We wipe our ass with this. We wipe our ass with this crock of shit umentary made by Dookie Head Thompson.
But back to the case that they make, the case with which we wipe our asses. Dukehead goes on to say that the CIA controls Hollywood, right? How does he know this? Well, now he starts to bring in other sources. One of them, in his vast expertise on the subject, is another stuntman. Okay. So now this other stuntman, no, it's two stuntmen now. It's got to be fucking right. Now this other stuntman comes into the fold, starts backing up Dookie Head. And then they get some expert, somebody named something, Kevin something. And he's the expert, according to these motherfuckers. And I don't know what his background is. Who the fuck cares, you know? And he goes on to talk. He's wearing like a suit, so he's fucking serious. And he goes on to talk about how he rep- he, he brings examples. He's not just spouting off like Dookie Head and his other stuntman friend about vague fucking subliminal messaging that movies give us movies mind you like zoolander is an example these stuntmen use these stuntmen use examples of movies like zoolander as proof that the cia controls hollywood which They say it uses movies like that to desensitize us to the truth because it's a comedy. They think they'll trick us. This is those guys talking. So then what about the writers of Zoolander? Did Ben Stiller is Ben Stiller a CIA operative? They don't even get in. They don't even get that deep. They actually don't even get that deep. They're saying this is subliminal messaging, mind control shit from the CIA. Which, that's what Zoolander's about. But their point, that's their point. That's where they get super cute. This is their point, to desensitize us to shit like that through something light and funny like Zoolander. But they don't take it far enough to say, well, what about the people that wrote it? Because movies just don't make themselves. Those are people who wrote it and people who performed it. Is Ben Stiller in on that? Moreover, the people that Zoolander stole from, which is Brett Easton Ellis, Brady Snellis wrote Glamorama and Zoolander basically has the entire, it's the entire premise was stolen, which whatever, it doesn't even fucking bother me. People do different kinds of shit all the time. Who knows? Maybe stolen is the wrong word, but he got there first. Is he also a CIA operative? Ben Stiller and Brady Snellis are out there fucking brainwashing us on behalf of the CIA? K. But that's not all. That's not their only evidence Frank Zappa and Jim Morrison were also in on it so this goes way back this is not just a now thing according to them Frank Zappa and Jim Morrison the alleged counterculture were really just red herrings they were really on the side of the CIA to help control our minds to send us subliminal messages I guess and this is the proof that they give us that their dads were in the military. I don't understand how that's proof of anything. I don't even understand how that's anything at all. 
he uses the recruit, the Al Pacino Colin Farrell movie from whenever the fuck that was. The recruit, which, by the way, portrays the CIA as an evil entity. Why would the CIA want to get that message out? Which, expanding on that, the CIA is represented as a villain in so many fucking movies and TV shows. If that was the case, if the CIA controlled the media, why the fuck would they let the media make endless amounts of movies and shows about how evil the CIA is and its operatives are? Doesn't get into that at all, obviously. Any of these things, any of these things can be figured out on one's own. You can figure out that it's bullshit immediately by taking it one thought further. He talks about how Amazon is in on this shit because they're one of the six biggest companies in the world. Amazon just fucking last year made a movie about the report, which is based on a true fucking story. About how nefarious the CIA is. It's an Amazon movie. What the fucking fuck are you talking about? Now, obviously, those are just some examples of that. The movie somehow, in a very unclear way, I wouldn't even call it sloppy. It's just unclear. Uh, It shifts into the truth behind Pizzagate. Now, before I get fully into Pizzagate, what has become abundantly clear to me by the middle of this fucking crock of shit umentary is that these people have all seen too many movies. These stuntmen especially. These people who are claiming Hollywood is poisoning or is, subl- is, is controlled by the CIA. And Hollywood is filled with these uh, honeypots all around town where people uh, are lured to parties, have sex with underage people, and then videos are made of them, pictures are taken of them, and then whoever they is, apparently the CIA, they're now controlled by the CIA because there are pictures of them partaking in illegal activities. So that's the full spectrum of the conspiracy theory. The only person who could come up with that, the only kind of person who could come up with this shit, are people who have seen too many bad movies. So the truest irony under all of this is that without movies, these people wouldn't be able to even come up with the theory that people who make movies are all pedophiles. And people who make movies are all controlled by the CIA. Without the help of the shitty movies you're claiming are evidence to prove your theory, the very same movies. Those are the reasons that you come up with this dumb shit, whether you realize it or not. You want to talk about subliminal. You want to talk about fucking sheeple. You want to talk about pull the wool out from over your eyes. How about the fact that every dumb fucking conspiracy theory that these fucking idiots come up with is like a shitty 
movie from the fucking 80s or 90s. This kind of thinking, if Hollywood's responsible for anything, it's for these dumb fucks. Anyway. (sighs) You know what the real fucking takeaway for that shit is? Actually, there's one more example that absolutely killed me. One example that the purported export, export, the export, the purported export that they use. And I'm not talking about the expert who is the fucking pelvic floor specialist, although obviously her data is not to be fucked with, not to be questioned. But the might be my favorite one, his example of, 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 because it goes all the way up to now. And it talks about how anyone who has as many followers as Taylor Swift or Lady Gaga or, fucking Miley Cyrus, Kanye, John Legend, whoever. They, quote, they, which these documentaries, crocus shit documentaries, love to say they. They wouldn't let these people have so much power if they weren't in on it too. They wouldn't be allowed in the gate. And an example that this export talks about is Katy Perry. And this is This is the evidence. This is what backs his claim. When she was young, she was a gospel singer. But she didn't gain much traction. She didn't really get anywhere. Then she came to Hollywood and played by their rules. And she was allowed into the club, given the keys to the kingdom, and thus given a clear path to success. Because she left that behind and played by Hollywood's rules. How much work do you have to do to believe that that's true? When instead, the truth is the most obvious thing. Which is that she wasn't fucking successful doing one thing. So she sold the fuck out and did something else in which she could be six at which she could be successful. To not deduce that naturally is fucking strange and gets to my bigger point, which is this. My biggest takeaway from watching that fucking bullshit is this. If you believe that, if you believe things like that, if you believe things like the claims Dookie Head Thompson is making in his crock of shit umentary. Then you want to believe it. Because much simpler, much easier answers are right in front of your face. And I know your minds have been shaped by movies and you're primed bad movies and you're primed to be able to believe that shit like this is true. But believe me when I say The real world gives no narrative. There is no controller. It's a fucking mess. And I understand why you would want to have a narrative. It's safer. Even a narrative like this. It's safer to believe that there is some order. That there is some control. When there actually is not. 
and all you people who have to say the media constantly lies, the media constantly lies. Obviously, the media is bullshit a lot of the time. But here's your mistake. You, what you're not allowing for is that just because the narrative the media is giving us doesn't mean there is a narrative. The media is successful because it gives us a narrative and we want that. But the illusion is that there is a narrative. The illusion is not their narrative versus the truth, which is that the CIA controls Hollywood, that pedophiles run Hollywood, and that fucking, you know, and it extends all the way into the QAnon shit I always talk about. The illusion is that there is a narrative. The illusion is not their particular narrative. There is no narrative. So I get why, I, I totally get why you or anyone would want to believe that there is a narrative. I relate. I would like an understanding too. That's what this podcast is all about. I would love to be able to dissolve my confusion and believe something as simplistic as the bullshit in this crock of shit documentary. And what's ironic is that these people say, if you could just stop listening to the media, stop listening to what you hear and see, and, and think critically for yourself, you'll see. And I would give the same exact advice. Think critically. And nothing will be easier than recognizing that all of the things in crocus shit documentaries like this are exactly that, crocs of shit. So I get why you want to believe that there is a narrative, but I don't get why you want to believe this one. This one is fucking disgusting. This one involves pedophilia. Why are you insisting on this conspiracy theory? This conspiracy theory sucks. And it says more about you if you believe it than it does about the world. You have a fucked up brain if you believe this because you want to believe this because there's no evidence out there in the world that should lead any sane person to believing that it's true. Therefore, you want to believe it. And therefore, you're fucked up in the head. I'm not saying there's not nefariousness on the behalf of corporate America and even Hollywood. And even the CIA, obviously there is. But it's not cohesive. It's not a narrative. It's not some joint effort. Everyone's out for them fucking selves. And if you want to fucking actually look at some real deal, right amount of paranoia shit, right amount of actually researched shit to satisfy that sort of need for sense when you look out at the fucking world that makes no sense, look up Adam Curtis, documentarian. He's a true fucking genius and a true hero. And he's not a fucking dipshit conspiracy theorist. He's an actual documentarian. Might I suggest starting with The Century of the Self? It's all on YouTube. 
It's one of the coolest fucking documentaries I've ever seen in my life. And it's genuinely important, heavily researched, non-bullshit, highly subjective, admittedly so. But heavily researched and contains no fucking bullshit. Really anything by him, but I believe that uh, The Century of the Self is one of the greatest things ever made and certainly one of the greatest documentaries uh, I've ever seen. And if you need to be a fucking, if you need to feed that part of you, the paranoid part, the part that looks out at the world and says, none of this makes sense. I desperately want to understand. It's breaking my fucking mind. Watch the century of the self. Do not ever watch bullshit like the kind of shit Dookie Head Thompson makes. Um... I guess I'll wrap up now. I mean, I did ask you guys about some, uh, if you guys had any questions for me. And I looked briefly. A lot of you guys asking about the special. Maybe I'll just get a couple of these before I head out of here. Um. Here's one. Someone sent me this link. Uh, First lady donates commemorative White House Easter eggs to frontline workers. <laughs> and the, and uh, she wrote, in quotes, thanks for risking your lives. Here's an Easter egg. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's stupid. But fucking hey, you know, she's the first lady. Why do we expect so much from the first lady? All she did was marry the asshole that's president. And I don't mean uniquely this asshole that's president. I mean, every asshole that's ever been president all that first lady did was marry him why should she have to fucking contribute why is she even expected to contribute nobody fucking elected her she's just the guy's wife i don't want fucking melania trump running anything i don't want donald trump running anything i certainly don't want melania trump running anything a lot of people writing to me about michigan this shit going on in michigan right now operation gridlock fucking embarrassing Angry people from Michigan going uh, clogging the streets to protest the governor, I think Whitmer is her name, the governor of Michigan, which has been besieged by COVID. Detroit's being hit particularly hard. She extended the stay-at-home orders, and some people are pissed. I saw some footage there earlier. saw a lot of people in MAGA hats, but guess what, MAGA people? Your God is also suggesting you stay the fuck home. So don't disobey your God. Obey your God. Obey your orange God and stay home. Why are you making this a political thing? There is no part of the federal government that is saying, go out into the world and fuck around. Everyone there is saying the same thing. Stay home. Until at least the end of April. Do you have any go-to movies, shows you've been watching during the quarantine? I talked about it a little bit last uh, week. Brian De Palma's Where It's At. I, I recently also rewatched Dressed to Kill, which is fucking bonkers and really not politically correct and could never be made now. But even all of that aside, the filmmaking in that shit is tippy, 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 top, 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 tippy, tippy, top. Just fucking chef's kiss. 
military salute. The sequences in that movie are fucking epic. I don't know if that's streaming anywhere, though. You might have to rent it. But fuck it, do it. It's worth it. Any Brian De, any Brian De Palma movie, get in there. I sh- promise you it'll take your mind off of what's going on. You get wrapped up in the fucking rapture of Brian De Palma. Nothing after 2000, though. He shits the bed after 2000, like a lot of those great filmmakers from the 60s and 70s and 80s. And 90s, for that matter, just couldn't fucking hold it together. Not only did 9-11 ruin movies, but those that generation stopped being good as well. And it was just a fucking double dip of depressing shit from movies since 2000 and 2001. And, okay, don't need to get into that before I leave. I work for a major healthcare service provider. My employer is asking me to increase my risk and take a pay cut to help in these uncertain times. Yeah, hey, companies, be better. Thanks. All right. Fuck this. Oh, this is way over an hour. Fuck. Okay. I will talk to you guys again on Sunday for our Sunday service for the K congregation. Confused congregants unite for fucking Sunday service. Our third Sunday service. I'm looking forward to it. I will talk to you guys then. Thank you for listening. Uh, I love you all. If you haven't yet, watch my brother Chris D'Elia's new special on Netflix called No Pain. And let me know what you think. Uh, Thank you, thank you, thank you. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay home, stay healthy, stay safe, and stay on. Okay.